Hey guys, Yas here. Hope you're well. I wanted to start today by saying thank you for tuning in. It's been an incredible journey over the last two years since May 22, where I released the first ever episode of the Coaches Network podcast. And to still be at it now, I can honestly say it wasn't something that I anticipated. But I can't go without saying it would not have been possible without your support. So whether this is your first time listening, you've been with me from the start, or anywhere in between, your support means the world and I want to say a massive thank you to everyone. On that note, it's been two years and there's been a hell of a lot of guests and some amazing conversations along the way. So as we approach the 250th episode of the Coaches Network podcast, I thought it'd be a great time to highlight some of the fascinating conversations that have taken place. So over the next few weeks, I'll be releasing some reruns of some of my favourite episodes of the show and give everyone an opportunity, whether you've been here from the start or recently become part of the Coaches Network family, an opportunity to soak up some of the brilliant conversations. In other news, there's been fantastic work going on behind the scenes. So alongside continue to bring some great guests and great conversations, I'm pleased to announce that myself and Joe will have some more webinars coming up over the next few months. So keep an eye out for those. And I recently announced that I'll be looking to put together a private coach development community group. Places will be limited and I'll be looking to launch this towards the start of March 2023. So if that's something that's of interest to you and you'd like to know more, please get in touch. Finally, one last request. It does take a lot of time to keep producing the content, especially weekly episodes. So if I could ask you one massive favour, guys, and apologies if you've already done so. But if you could take a moment to leave a review and some feedback on the show, it honestly makes a massive difference to the ratings and how many people can get access to the podcast. But enough of me. As ever, massive thank you and on to today's guest, guys. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. I'm Coach Yes, um, and you've joined us for another edition of our how-to series. Today, we're going to be discussing how to train and what it means to train like within the ugly zone. And I've got a very special guest with me today, the founder of the Learn Lab, Trevor Reagan. How are you, Trevor? I'm great. How are you? Fine, thank you. I'm looking forward to this discussion with you. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited <laughs> about it. Brilliant. So, Trev, just to help the listeners um, understand a bit more about yourself, you mind just telling us about, about your journey, what the Learner Lab is, and how you came about finding it? Yeah, uh, about 10 years ago, I started a website, and my, my original idea was I'm going to make a website that talks about how to make better basketball drills, and I thought I was going to change the world, and... I started writing articles about different ways to train in basketball and like no one was reading them except for my mom. <laughs> and, but I, I was so early in the learning uh, sort of research that I was able to get interviews and get around fantastic researchers. And what I started to realize as I was gathering information is all of the stuff that I was learning was relevant outside of basketball as well. It was relevant for almost any sport, but even bigger than that, they were sort of like foundational principles of learning that apply to all growth. And it took me a couple of years to realize that. But when I did, I stopped just writing about basketball and kind of pivoted and started looking at more of the learning process in general. So for the last few years, my real mission that I've been on is what are the foundational principles that could help a person become a better learner? And ever since making that pivot, my company really took off. And so now my time is spent in like three buckets. Bucket one is training people. So uh, I used to travel a lot. Now I do a lot of Zooms because everyone's locked down. Uh, so I teach this stuff to groups. I work with Olympic teams, professional teams, but also in the corporate world with schools. 
The other bucket I, I love spending time on is I like to produce content. So we have a podcast. I, uh, I write a lot of articles and produce videos that share the stuff that I'm um, discovering. And then the best bucket where I, I, I spend a lot of time and where I wish I spent even more is learning. So I try to get around people way smarter than me, the scientists, the people that have researched learning for decades. And I like to go hang out with them and ask dumb questions and learn as much as I can from the science and then take that information and explain it to someone so they could actually use it. So I see my job as kind of the translator and the dot connector. There's a lot of good science out there, but if we don't understand how it works and we don't understand what it means, it's gonna be hard to apply. So that's kind of where I see myself in the bigger learning equation. Someone who can understand it, but explain it to someone so they could use it. Yeah, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I think key piece to, for, for me already, you know, I'm, you got me salivating over the rest of this conversation already. Um, in, terms of, in terms of the learning aspect of things, any particular areas that you're very passionate in about yourself? I'm passionate about, uh, like, I care about anything that can help you become a better learner. But the trap I fell into when I first got started is there's so many things. And mm. so it was like overwhelming of like every week, I was learning a new topic every week. I was writing a new article about like a hundred different things. But after doing that, and this took a few years to realize is when you go deep enough, there's some fundamental truths that I think are the best place to start that. Of course, there's a hundred things you and I could talk about right now that could help someone perform better and learn better hundred hacks and different approaches but I believe in sort of this bottom-up approach of, well, if I want to become a better learner, how do I build the best foundation for that? And that's where I like to spend most of my time talking about stuff like that. And hopefully those are the things that we're going to get into today. Um, because I truly believe, like, it doesn't matter what sport you play or what you do in life. If you create this, I guess a good way to think about it would be great soil for learning. Whatever seed you're going to plant is going to grow better. So I don't, I'm not here to tell you what to learn. I'm not here to tell you what seeds to plant, but we can make the soil really, really good. So whatever you, whatever you do care about, whatever you do want to learn can grow better. And that's kind of our bottom up approach. Brilliant. Um, yeah. You just told me about the foundations and, you know, uh, you know, one of the key areas I'm hoping to get onto at, at some point is obviously, you know, this, this element of, or this piece around training in the ugly zone. Yeah. Um, would you mind just going into a bit more detail for the listeners around what the ugly zone is, why why it's relevant, and what the importance of being able to train through that is? Sure. Okay. So we can do this whole thing. Um, good way to think about learning. Step one is to get clear on certain truths of learning. So I think this is foundational pillar number one. And a good way to think about it would be uh, comparing two tigers. <laughs> so if you imagine a tiger that's living in a zoo and then a tiger that lives in the jungle, those are two very different situations and experiences that those tigers will have. Like the, the tiger in the zoo, it's really easy. It's very predictable. Every day is the same. I don't really do anything. I always have food, water, shelter. It's easy and struggle-free. Mm -hmm. I think we'd agree that the opposite is true for the jungle tiger. <laughs> like its life is really hard and full of unpredictability and full of uncertainty and full of struggle because it has to do everything on its own. Okay. Well, you could ask a five-year-old, 
which tiger is going to learn more? And a five-year-old would say the jungle tiger. And so would a 35-year-old, because it's obvious. Of course, this jungle tiger is going to learn and develop much more than the zoo tiger. Mm. There's a big gap between the two tigers, but that gap was not about their tools because they had the same tools. They were both tigers. The gap was about their situation, their experiences, the tiger that struggled, the one that had to solve problems and deal with uncertainty with grew more than the one that didn't. Now, I think that's a really powerful metaphor. No one would ever argue with any of the points I just made, but now we need to approach learning with sort of the same lens. That's just a big story about comfort zones. So one truth of learning is that in order to grow, whether you're trying to grow a muscle or a skill is that you have to expand out of your comfort zone to grow. Now, the truth about comfort zones, they come in all shapes and sizes, depending on what we're doing, they're going to be different. But if we spend all of our time in the comfort zone and only do the things that are easy, predictable, comfortable, just like the zoo tiger, we limit our growth. So in a big way, what we're saying is we are built to learn like the jungle tiger. When we get out of the comfort zone, have to solve some problems when we have to struggle a bit. And I think deep down, we all know that. Deep down, we understand that. But the interesting thing to realize is like, look, we don't do it very much, but we know that's how learning works. Because you could go back to the five-year-old and they understand this. And if they understand it, like, so do we. And so now the question, like the two big ideas and where we can get into more of the foundational stuff, it's like, look, well, we get to choose which tiger to be. Tigers don't get to choose. You either live in the zoo or live in the jungle. We get to choose. And so every day, whether we're an athlete or a student or just like at the workplace, we're presented jungle tiger moments, problems, challenges, obstacles, change. When we're presented those moments, you could choose to jungle tiger them, which means to experience and learn from them, or we could choose to zoo tiger, which means to hide from them or avoid them. And multiple times a day, we get to make that choice. If we want to become a better learner, we need to choose to jungle tiger a little bit more. We're not always gonna do it, but we have to be willing to expand out of our comfort zone and take and sustain action that takes place in the jungle. That's the key to becoming a better learner. Definitely. And I think it's just going to take you back a little bit. And, you know, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here because I do agree with what you're saying there. However, um, it would be fair to also, I believe, to say that some people would argue that the, the, the wild like, uh, tiger in this one, or the, uh, yeah. does it, whilst they may necessarily learn a wider range of skills, it could be argued that the, I guess, the jungle tiger may be able to potentially learn it at, at, at a specific skill on a deeper level do you disagree with that uh yeah so the zoo tiger could learn to jump through a ring of fire like a very specific skill the jungle tiger is more adaptable because no two days in the jungle are the same exactly the the tactics it uses to get a zebra on one day are going to be different the next and so Mm. it is actually more well-rounded and more capable of adapting because that's what it has to do. Being agile and adaptive, those are buzzwords right now, but we have to look at those things as skills. The only way to be more agile and adaptive is to practice being agile and adaptive. 
the jungle tiger, because of the nature of its experience, will be more adaptive because it has to do a wide range of things in order to survive. Definitely. The zoo tiger might be better at jumping through a ring of fire and catching a flying stake or whatever it does, but that doesn't make it more adaptive in the jungle. Definitely. So just kind of coming back to obviously now, you know, that those two animals in the metaphor, can you, you mind taking it to us in more some practical application of that or I guess representing yep. that within the sporting context? Sure. So let's do a really simple one and then we'll take it to sports. Uh, I want to become a better public speaker. One approach would be I spend a lot of my time alone in front of a mirror going through my talks. Okay, let's say I'm talking to my grandma and I say, Grandma, I want to become a better public speaker and I spend all of my time talking in front of the mirror. Do you think there would be a better approach? And my grandma, who's like 90, would say, you should probably speak in front of people. That is it right there. And I know that seems simple, but that's mm -hmm. the difference between the, zone, the, the, the zoo and the jungle. The zoo is predictable. I'm in front of the mirror. There's no pressure. No one is watching me. Practicing in front of people is more uncomfortable, but it's more like the actual skill I'm trying to build. And if I really want to get better at public speaking, I need to be willing to practice like that, even though it's a bit more uncomfortable. Now, I can build up to that. I can spend a little bit of time by myself, but if I really want to grow, I need to be willing to practice in front of others. It's that simple. And so sometimes people get this wrong idea of what we mean by learning like the jungle tiger. It's, it's not about these big, grand, aggressive leaps out of our comfort zone. It's usually these small choices. And it's about making the small choice to jungle tiger a bit more. So anytime we choose to do the right but better thing over the easy, comfortable thing, we're being the jungle tiger. This is how we learn everything. So it's a little more uncomfortable to take the training wheels off than to keep them on. But when we take them off, it's a little weird and we struggle and then we can ride the bike. And so this is just like one truth of learning is like, look, the price of admission for any growth is struggle. And if we're just willing to kind of understand that and do that more, we can grow more. So let's take it to sports. It's like, okay, um, uh, I'm a basketball player and I'm shooting around. Like I could shoot the same shot from every spot, like 20 in a row and then move to the next spot. Well, again, you can talk to my grandma and like the, the truth is what happens when you practice like that is your brain slides to autopilot. It's super yes. repetitive. I don't really have to think. I'm just kind of rinsing and repeating for like 20 or 50 or even a hundred shots. Okay. Well, what would make that better? Move move between each shot and the move simply gets my brain out of autopilot i have to focus again and shoot a different shot that is a small adjustment that would make the drill better now there and there's ways to make it even uh, more effective you could add defense you could add some spacing you could add like a lot of elements and so the way to think about it when it comes to sports is this the game when we're competing and there are is a scoreboard and it matters. The game is the jungle. No two games are alike, especially in sports like uh, football, soccer, baseball, volleyball, w what we call like open skill sports where there's 
chaos, there's randomness, there's other people involved. No two plays are alike, no two games are alike. Highly unpredictable. It's the jungle. The problem is, if you look at the way that most of us practice, mm. we, we practice and train in the zoo, and then we expect our athletes to perform in the jungle. Well, that's not going to work because you go back to the metaphor. Well, what would happen if you took the zoo tiger that spent its whole life in a cage and put it in the jungle? It doesn't stand a chance. And so when it comes to making better practice and applying this to sports, it's, well, if the game is the jungle, I have to remember that the jungle tiger learns to survive in the wild by spending time in the wild. So we need to practice more like the jungle. That doesn't mean be reckless and it doesn't mean just play with no direction, but it does mean identifying certain variables that will be present in the game and starting to introduce more of those variables to my practice. So you go back to the public speaking example, that's exactly what I'm saying. When I have to speak in public, there will be people watching. If I can introduce that variable into my practice, it will make my practice better. None of this Definitely. is rocket science, but we just don't do it very much. Definitely. I totally agree with that. And I think something that resonates with me in my, in my work, I mean, I, I, within, within, I guess, uh, soccer or football, as we call it over here in the, in the UK, it's this discussion around opposed training versus unopposed training uh, in the simple, in simply, are you going to do it with opposition in place or are you going to do it without the opposition in place? And there's a lot of work that goes around uh, one-to-one uh, technical work and uh, I guess some stuff when it comes to working with units and teams and groups of players around mm-hmm. patterns of play and certain movement patterns they want the players to kind of uh, carry out. It's kind of like a play really. Um, however, there's a lot of coaches that go down that path. There's a lot of coaches that are, are, are against that. And, in you know, I happen to be one of the coaches. I don't see the benefit of doing unopposed works. So kind of, it kind of links into what you're saying there. And that if mm-hmm. I'm going to be that, if I want to create a, a tiger that's going to be a zoo tiger, I don't need to put him in all these other environments. I don't need to expose yep. him to all these other variables because he's never going to come across those. However, if I know that I've got a tiger who's likely to come across some of these variables, yep. it surely, as you said, it's not rocket science, but it just makes sense. Why yep. would they not benefit from having exposure to those things before putting them that, in that environment? Yep. It's, it's like, you know, like, like they say, with, you know, when you learn how to drive a car, um, you're not, you're not going to sit in your classroom just driving a car that's not where the learning is going to take place. Okay, there's something that you can do to prepare yourselves. There might be some base. And yeah. as, you, as you talked to earlier, you know, you might add some some of that soil that you talked about earlier to the foundations. However, you're not going to be able to plant that seed until you get out and actually start doing it. Yep. And and again, this isn't a, a reckless or messy approach. That, yeah, this is a bit more difficult, but it's you can kind of – you can gradually expose yourself to this type of practice and it's just better. So, okay, now let's like, like zoom out. So what we've just talked about so far is one foundational approach to learning. So it's, it's basically saying, we just need to remember this truth of learning that struggle isn't just okay, it's necessary. So we need to just recalibrate what we're trying to chase in order to grow. We're chasing reps and practice that challenges us, that makes us struggle in the appropriate amount. So one way to do that is to help people understand that that's important. 
Now, it's also interesting to look at, well, even when we know that's important and even when we know that's how we grow, we still don't like to do it. We still avoid it. We still choose to stay in the zoo. Well, why? Well, probably for 500 reasons, but I think two big ones that I like to talk about are limiting beliefs and fear. So limiting beliefs are like these stories in our head about the things we can't learn, can't do. It's like, oh, uh, in basketball, it's like, I can't dribble left-handed or in baseball, I can't hit a curveball. Like we have all these stories about the things we can't learn. I'm not a math person. I'm not a people person. And then fear, that's easy to understand. It's like, I don't like to struggle. I don't like to look bad. I don't want to be judged. I'm fearing the unknown. I'm afraid of the change. And so when you look at these two big obstacles, stories and fear, these are two reasons that we end up getting stuck in the zoo. So then the question is like, well, how do you overcome those? Because if those are the things that are keeping us in the zoo, it's like, well, what do we do about it? Now, like I said, I like talking about these two. There are many more, but these two are important because first, they're universal. Every human on earth has to deal with stories and fear. Second, they are two very big obstacles. And then the most important, the third is they're, they're, we can control them. There are a lot of things out of our hands, but stories and fear can be controlled. We can overcome them. And there's a lot of science that shows us how to do that. So one approach to jungle tigering more or training ugly and getting out of our comfort zone and being willing to struggle is helping people understand the value of that. And what I'm getting at now is the other approach to getting people to jungle tiger more is to talk about the reasons we don't and then build the tools to overcome those obstacles. And so that's another approach. And there's no like blueprint, but there's different ways to do it. Um, and I, I see benefits with all of them. Mm. And just in terms of those, you know, those reasons, I guess, that you've, you've you know, those that you would have for one mm-hmm. wanting to get to that stage and those, you know, and then the reasons away from them, what would some of those reasons be? And how would you now sure. go about challenging the player to understand these things or the, or the person involved to understand these things? Got it. So basically what we're saying is this, let's say I'm a teacher and I want my students to ask more questions. Well, most teachers are just going to tell the students, ask more questions. That's saying, basically saying jungle tiger. It's the jungle tiger move is to ask the question. You get better when you do that. And we just do it by telling them. But what I'm saying now is let's dig into, well, why is a student not asking a question? Maybe they don't want to feel, maybe they feel like they can't learn this particular thing or subject. That would be the limiting belief or They feel weird. They feel uncomfortable and then they don't want to engage. That's fear getting in the way. So then the question is, if I want my students to ask more questions, it's not about just telling them to ask more questions. It's about finding the reasons that they're not and trying to fix that. So let's look at stories and fear. The stories stuff, the limiting beliefs, we all have these, but the big problem is if you look into the research around how important our mindsets are to learning, The big idea there is our mindsets when it comes to learning are extremely self-fulfilling. Like if I believe I can learn something, I'm more likely to learn it. And if I don't believe I can learn something, I'm probably not going to learn it. 
Now that seems simple, but let, let's kind of unpack that. It's not magic. All it's saying is when I believe I can learn something, I'm more likely to practice it. If I don't believe I can learn something, probably not going to practice it. And so it's self-fulfilling in that the original belief becomes true. If I believe I could get in better shape, I'm more likely to work out. And if I work out, I get in better shape. If I don't believe I can get in better shape, I'm not going to work out. And then I don't get in better shape. And so I know, again, that's a high level example. But the, the real life examples of that playing out are everywhere. What if when I'm young, my parent tells me that I'm not a math person? Think about how that story will shape my action as I grow older. Every test, every assignment, that story's in my head. I'm not a math person. The story robs me of action and practice. And over time, it becomes true. I believe I'm not a math person. I don't practice math. I become not a math person. Replace math with any skill, and that cycle works the same. So these stories, these limiting beliefs are robbing us of opportunities to grow and get better all the time. Now, the good news is if you dig into the research of learning, you see that the neuroscience actually supports this idea that skills are something that we can build. So I was interviewing this guy named Michael Merzenich, and he's known uh, really famous neuroscientist, and he's been studying brains and learning since like 1970. And during this conversation, he straight up said, according to our research, that's not new. Absolutely everyone can get better at virtually any skill, regardless of age, regardless of, uh, of like whatever our abilities. That is unbelievable. Now, that's not saying everyone's going to master everything. But what he's saying is, if it's a skill, you could get better at it. If you practice the right way and enough, it's just like, okay, any human could make any muscle stronger if they worked it out. Now, some are going to get much stronger than others, but everyone can make any muscle stronger. And the same rules apply to learning. If it's skill, we could get better. Our brains are designed to grow and adapt and learn. And if we practice something enough, we could get better at it. And that's not me just trying to hype people up. That's what the science says. And so, okay, let's go back. We said, this, these stories keep me in the zoo. The antidote to the stories is to understand that our brain is built to learn, that we can build skills. It's not free, but we can earn and develop pretty much any skill. We can get much better than we realize. Those are all ideas of what they call like a growth mindset, the belief I could grow. That Definitely. is the antidote to the story. So now, rather than I can't hit a curveball, it's I can't hit a curveball, but I know hitting a curveball is a skill. And if I practice enough and stay patient and struggle, I will eventually be able to hit a curveball better than I can now. That's it. And I know that that seems simple. But that is an, another essential foundational part of becoming a better learner. Step one is getting clear on, well, what does it take to grow? Step two is believing that I can. Right. And just on that step two, then, I, you know, surely no, you know, there's going to be people that are probably listening to this and people that have been through the experiences themselves where they may have, uh, I guess, 
try to you know implement some of this self-talk um but maybe still feel like they're hitting that brick wall because obviously you know at the end of the day you don't know uh, when that rainbow is going to end when that long journey is going to end and you're finally going to have your pot of gold sitting there waiting for you Mm -hmm. so what would you say to those that are maybe struggling to maintain that patience you know you know it, it, it can be over different time scales some people might have a target in their mind and think oh, i'm never getting there because it's just not there they can't see it so what would you know obviously the belief there is it, you know that's a great piece obviously there mm-hmm. for people to kind of look at and adopt mm-hmm. however yeah i think within- i think so it's like with all change patience is a part of this but learning isn't just a function of time and effort like if it was it'd be so easy but it's not so like if if you and I are gonna go learn to skateboard it would be so much easier if we go and we get our skateboards and then there's someone there that's like in order to learn to skateboard you just have to fall 27 times and if you fall 27 times on the 28th you'll get it both of us would be like oh no problem and we go do it but it's that uh, what you said is right. It's that uncertainty of the truth is if we were both going to go learn to skateboard, I don't know how many times I need to crash. I do know that I could learn to skateboard and so could you. You'll probably learn it maybe faster than me, but that doesn't mean I can't. And it's that uncertainty that's that's tough. Now, one idea here is, again, it's not just like this blueprint of just do this and then you got it. Uh, Mm. it's not just 28 crashes. It's, well, I need to adjust my tactics. Maybe I'm approaching it in the wrong way. It's like if I'm trying to eat healthier and trying to uh, experiment with a new diet and seeing no results, it's not like, oh, instead of one month, do two months. Usually it's like change the diet. And so learning can get messy in that sense that sometimes we have to change the strategy. Um, And that's tough. It's just depending on who we are, what we're trying to learn. Um, and then we go back to like, what we want is that sustained belief that change is possible. Um, and there's a lot of ways to build that one is to understand the neuroplasticity research, the growth mindset research that shows that, that our brains can change, that we can grow. But the other thing that's kind of, it seems simple, but I think it's powerful is just like reflect everybody listening to this right now is really really good at lots of things and the truth is no matter what skills they are like okay everyone could pause this right now and identify lots of skills they're good at obviously i don't see what they just came up with but i do know two things once upon a time you weren't as good at that skill as you are now and that was changed through practice and experience and experimentation which means we learned the thing what i'm saying is We are all growing and getting better every week, every month, every year we grow. Yet sometimes we're not recognizing the growth and sometimes we don't give ourselves credit for this. That sometimes when we just reflect and recognize all the skills we've developed and how good we are at things and how much growth has happened in the year, the week, the month, that is a pretty good way to remind ourselves of our capacity to grow. And that is a kind of underrated way to build that growth mindset. The growth mindset is, I believe I could grow. And this is a backdoor way of reinforcing it. I believe I could grow because I have. And if I can learn the skills that I'm good at, I could definitely acquire more. 
Definitely. I think one of the key bits that you've kind of just touched on in that bit there is that that piece around that self-awareness and self-reflection. I think um, a lot of people struggle with that and they don't maybe, not. I don't even think they struggle with it because they're maybe not sure how to maybe do it. I think they just don't actually do enough of it. Mm-hmm. So what would your, you know, what would you say to, to that? In I just, I think it's like, we do this. At, so when we do like our workshops, it's like a five hour thing. So we do a lot of discussion and we do that brainstorm with people. And it's funny, no matter the group, you say, all right, two minutes on the clock, share with a neighbor a couple things you're good at. And there's like a nine second pause. And yeah. you can see in people's face, they're like, oh, am I good at stuff? It's like a weird thing. But that's a problem with the learning process we have to fix. Of course, you're good at stuff. We're all good at stuff. We're, and, and almost all of those things that we're good at were earned. They weren't just given to us. We're good at yeah. them because we practice. And so, like, I just think sometimes we forget that we're growing all the time, that we've earned and developed all of these skills, which means we could earn and develop more. And so it's just taking a minute and recognizing the growth. And I think there's just a lot of power in doing that. Definitely. And what, about, what would you say to those people who are maybe thinking about that they might be good at certain things, but maybe they're not passionate about those things? And how important do you think it is to be passionate about the things that you want to be good at as well? I think it's a little bit overrated, actually. I think there, there's a time and a place for that. But sometimes, like, passion can be built. And so uh, maybe another way to look at it is sometimes what we perceive as lack of passion is actually a mask for something deeper. So I'm not passionate about dancing or math, but the truth is it's like, I would like to be good at math and I'd like to be good at dancing. The truth is for one, I don't really believe I could get better and I'm afraid to look bad so I never practice. So in that case, it's I, what I call lack of motivation or passion is really just me being afraid to try. And so it kind of goes back to those two big things we mentioned a few minutes ago, stories and fear, that if we get those right, I think we're more likely to take action. And if we take action, it can start to snowball and we can sort of build engagement and motivation and passion around it. So I think passion is something that we build once we get started and we start to see results as humans, we're really wired to like thrive in that type of situation. And then that is where the passion comes from, I think, a lot of the time. So, if, I mean, if it was okay, I want to kind of maybe give you a practical example of a situation that, um, that you know, that could resonate with some of our listeners. And then maybe you can talk us through some of the steps that you could advise sure. around overcoming some of these things. So I'm just now in my head thinking about a, a coach working in an environment where, they've been used to maybe doing things in a certain way for a long time. So maybe that, that, that is a bit of resistance to change, but they've got ideas. They, may, they might want to toy around and play around with. However, they haven't quite got to the point where they're going to try them out because maybe that, that fear of failure that you discussed there earlier mm-hmm. uh, might be there. If it doesn't quite work out, then the players, uh, the, you know, the participants within their sessions might look at them or, or I guess view them differently because maybe things haven't worked out. Mm-hmm. What would you, you know, what would you, you know, given that context there, how, how would you approach that? Shrink the experiment. So right. it's like, look, sometimes in sports, we're backstage. So it's like, 
a really safe place to experiment would be like at practice, low stakes, we're not keeping score. It's like I can be a little more aggressive with my experiments. And then other times the, the performance matters, the outcome matters, I can still shrink my experiment. So um, like I make a living by doing workshops and talking about this stuff. And a lot of the groups that I work with, I work with like every year. So there's groups I've been going back every year for five years. And some feedback that we got from a group just last month, they're like, wow, your stuff has changed so much. It's so much better than it was two years ago. That's not because every year I just burn all my content and build it from scratch. Of course not. It's because every time we give a presentation, I made a rule that I must experiment with something. Now it's as small as it could be the order, it could be implementing a new study or a new story. It's like, even when this outcome matters, it's the most important thing in my life is that the workshop goes well, there's still room for small experiments. And then what happens is over time, as you start to stack those small experiments, it leads to a big change. It's like, whoa, night and day versus like the workshop now versus the workshop two years ago. But again, it wasn't this one big change. It was stacking up these small experiments. So you go back to the coach. So, it's so like, just pause you there for a second, Trevor. How much of that is influenced by uh, potential uh, gaining feedback from the participants involved as well? Is, is, is that any of that, that feedback either sought after? And if so, has any of that then reflected... Um, on you in the way where it's impacted the types of small experiments you may then go proceed with, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's huge. And sometimes we get so locked in in only receiving feedback from external sources. So when I'm talking, I can pick up on the people's faces and how they're responding. And then I have my little notebook there and I can take some notes on what's happening. And sometimes I can literally ask them, did you like that? Uh, what did you think about that? But I just think with a little bit of reflection, like you can pick up on, oh, this is going well or not going well, or, ooh, I had them. And then at the end of the story, I totally lost them. And I can just remember that and write it in my notebook. And then the next time try to do it better. Um, so I think the the feedback is good. And with if we're just being objective about it, we can get some pretty good feedback just to ourselves by just kind of reading the situation and reflecting on it. Um, and then we try to do better next time. Brilliant. And then just, you know, just talking, talking to that, you know, that, that piece around reflection. So we know we've started to reflect, we've started to look at some of those small experiments. How do we assess now when we're, when we're looking to maybe implement some of these little small experiments? And correct me if I'm wrong, what you're saying is every time you go into a new situation, no matter what the situation is, you're always going to try and do something differently just to see how it goes. Yep. And it's, it, could, um, it could be so small. And that's important. Shrink it down a lot. Now, is there any is there any things that you should be looking out for to, I guess, you know, really assess if it's small enough, but at the same time big enough for it to not have a major impact if it doesn't quite go right? Yeah, I mean, I just think that's super dependent on what it is that you're doing. Yeah. I think one gauge is does this make me feel kind of weird? <laughs> and like the answer should yeah. be yes. Now it shouldn't make me just freak out, but it should create a little bit of discomfort. You go back to yes. the original idea. 
it's called a comfort zone for a reason. And so if you do get out of the comfort zone, it's going to make you feel uncomfortable. And so if I feel perfectly fine, I'm probably in the zoo. If I feel a little weird, that's a sign I'm in the jungle. Now, it's just like if I'm working out, like there's a certain amount of weight where I'm going to struggle and feel some pain on the last few reps. That is a good amount of weight. Now, I could do it with no weight and feel no pain and no struggle and see no progress. Or I could add way too much weight and I'm going to struggle a lot and I won't grow. So it's finding that proper amount of weight. And so what I'm saying is we could use a similar approach when we're coming up with our experiments. It's like, what is the experiment that's the right amount of hard for me? That's going to make me feel a little bit. It's not going to throw me off so much that it screws up this whole talk, but it's not so small that it doesn't even phase me. That would be like working out with no weights. And so again, it's super dependent on the context and what it is that you're doing. Um, but I, I also think it's just a more accurate way of, of learning and experimenting. If, if you're running seven experiments, it's kind of hard to see, well, which one's working, which one's not. So when it's small, when it's just one or two, I think you can get a pretty good idea of how it's going by yeah. judging the group, judging the audience. Um, and if you're just honest, you, you can give yourself some, some good feedback and reflection on that. Definitely. You know, just as we start to wind down now, I was wondering if we could kind of, uh, you know, run through those steps. But, you know, I want to bring you back to something you touched on at the start of the conversation around laying those foundations so that the seeds can be planted appropriately. Sure. Um, Would you mind just going into some, you know, detail around that that aspect of things and I guess breaking down those how-to steps for us in terms of how to get... Sure. In that ugly, well, how to first of all be com- get comfortable in the ugly zone and I- identify what the exact com- you know you talk there about. There's a reason why it's called a comfort zone. <laughs> uh, it's because as soon as you step outside it, it's no longer comfortable. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think is key. Um, so you know, just reiterate on that, and obviously then delve into the how to steps. Sure. Of training through that. All right. So we've we've done this a bit, and so it's good to kind of zoom out and look at the the picture we just painted. Yeah. Okay. So our foundation is made of a few things. One is we need to be very clear on what it takes to grow. That means stepping out of the comfort zone, taking and sustaining action in the jungle. The tools to help us do that. One is the belief that it's possible. We must believe that we can grow in order to train ugly in order to jungle tiger in order to grow. The other one I just started to touch on is the willingness to feel a bit uncomfortable. The way that we talk about discomfort and fear and nerves, especially the fear and the nerves we feel before a big challenge or during a challenge is so off. So they did a, they did a, big survey out of Harvard. And the the question on the survey was, what is the best thing to tell yourself or someone else when you're nervous before a big challenge or during a challenge? 91% of the people that responded said something to the effect of calm down or don't be afraid. 
And if you think about it, yeah, like we've all said that, we've all heard that. But what the research actually says is that is exactly the wrong approach. And so what happens, and, and it would take like 90 minutes to really do this right, but just the big overview is when we think that feeling nervous or afraid, and I'm talking about when it, when it comes to learning, when we think that those things are bad, and usually we do think they're bad because everyone around us is telling us, don't be afraid, be fearless. That's sending the signal and painting this picture that it's bad to feel nervous, it's bad to feel afraid. And then what happens is when I do step out of my comfort zone, when I do get into the jungle, when I am in front of people giving my talk and I feel weird, I am going to start having feelings about my feelings. And that gets me into trouble. So if you're always telling me to be fearless and then I'm in a situation where I do feel fear, I assume I'm doing something wrong or I'm not ready or I'm not prepared or this experiment is too big. The other approach when I'm taught that fear is bad is I avoid situations that might make me feel bad because I've been taught my whole life that it's bad to feel bad. So I avoid anything that could make me feel like that. Here's the problem. We are taught that fear and other tough emotions like being nervous are bad. And we're taught this because people are always telling us that we should be fearless, which is essentially saying, don't feel fear. And we mean well when we tell people that, but the signal it's sending is it's not good to feel. But then the, the problem is because we're humans and because we're always pushed out of our comfort zone, we do feel. So it creates a, an issue here of if I'm taught that it's bad to feel fear, bad to be nervous, but then I do feel it, I start to feel shame because I feel it. It's like, uh-oh, I must not be prepared. I must not be ready. No one else feels like this because everyone, all these signals have taught me to be fearless. And so then I'm in a situation where I do feel and then I'm thinking about it the wrong way. And then the other way to avoid feeling is to just not do the thing. So I'm presented an opportunity. They, they say, do you want to give a talk to this group? But I feel nervous. In my past, because I felt nervous, I would give those feelings a lot of power. And I would say, nah, I better not do it. I'm too nervous. Because I, I think, well, if I'm this nervous, it means I better not do this because it's bad to feel like this. And so the, the really cool thing that comes out of the research is if you change that original assumption and just help, help people understand, it's okay to feel nervous and it's okay to feel afraid that again, we're humans and that's like, we're wired to feel uncomfortable when we're doing things that involve uncertainty and attention and struggle when we get out of the comfort zone. And just by teaching people that it's okay to feel those things, now we can stop shaming ourselves when we do feel them. And so there's a lot of really cool research that, that shows like how this affects learning and how this affects performance. Um, and I just think it's so fascinating and so powerful. But in the end, it's just making a small adjustment. It's okay to feel. It's okay to feel nervous. It's okay to be afraid. That doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. And it's one of the most powerful lessons that you could teach literally anyone. It's one of the best topics that, that we present. 
and that that piece there, you know, just it, it, you, you know, you gave a brief uh, detail and example earlier around that the feelings that you could have. What would be a good gauge for someone to assess whether they're feeling in it? You might be. It might be something that you reiterate from what you mentioned earlier about that comfortability and being outside the comfort zone, but also that feeling of it's okay to be outside that comfort zone. I think that self-talk around that piece, I think, is just as important as obviously being outside the comfort zone in order to develop. Yeah, it's, it's, it's if I want to grow, I have to expand out of my comfort zone. And when I do that, it's going to feel weird, but that doesn't mean I'm doing something wrong. Right. But if you think about it, that's kind of what screws us up. We're like, yeah. okay, I believe that, that I can learn to dance. I have my growth mindset. And I know I need to dance. And then I get out there and I feel weird. And then I stop. What we're saying now is you can learn to dance. That's the belief. And when you start dancing, it's going to feel weird. That's okay. You're a human. That doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. But in our past, when we feel uncomfortable, we think we're doing something wrong because we're taught that it's bad. But the truth is it's human. And so now... I'm dancing, I'm feeling kind of weird, but I know that's okay. I'm more likely to keep dancing. And if I keep dancing, I get better at dancing. And so now what we've done, we sidestep the story and the fear and we spent more time in the jungle dancing. <laughs> yeah, I love your analogies and your metaphors. Um, I think the key thing to kind of, you know, sum up from from my perspective is in your steps, it's first of all that self-reflection piece, understanding where those developments and those changes might need to come, mm-hmm. or what the gaps are that you might need to fill. Mm-hmm. Then that self, that 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 almost self-talk statement that it can be done, it can yep. be something that can be developed and built on, um, and then that acceptance and that awareness and understanding that in the process of this and it is the process that you've really got to focus on, not the end goal, that the process is not going to be comfortable because if it was, it'd be something you could do already. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like the, it's like, if you think about sports, it's like, obviously that creates a lot of discomfort when we compete. Well, the way to have no discomfort would be to play a team, you know, you can beat. Well, that's not what we want. So it's like, we, sports is the perfect place it's like all of these things are maximized like we're gonna feel a lot of different emotions when we compete and that's like the beauty of sports that's what makes it hard but that's the best part of it as well um Definitely. so it's it's really important thanks Trevor. you talked there about you've been told you've been told and now you mentioned something right at the start of the conversation around your passion for learning and your thirst for learning has you know brought you to a point where you want to surround yourself with these people who have maybe that knowledge so that you can kind of prod and probe on how important is it and you know i'm 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 certain it is but you might just talk into just how important is that the people around you are also reflective of i guess the the goals that you want to achieve if that makes sense it 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 matters and then if we're really getting after it, then it doesn't matter as much. So what I mean is like, of course the people can influence a lot. And in the dream scenario, everyone around me is a hungry learner and they're in, they're engaged in learning behaviors, which helps me do the same. There's a lot of research that shows that. 
and the people around me know how to talk about discomfort and they tell me that I can grow and they support me in having a growth mindset. That's great. And in a lot of situations, you can work to build that environment. And then sometimes we don't control the environment. That doesn't mean I can't grow. And so sometimes I have to just win battles between my ears that I might not be supported by the people around me, but between my ears, I could remember these foundational things. In order to grow, to get out of my comfort zone and take action, I have to believe I can grow and I have to be willing to fear or to feel. There's nothing wrong with feeling uncomfortable. That doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It doesn't mean you're not ready. That means you're a human. And if we can just get to that and accept the fact that it's okay to feel, like that is a superpower foundational thing that we can build. And all of those things are in my control. And so I'll be honest, we've done some workshops. I've done a few workshops inside of prisons, arguably one of the worst learning environments you could ever imagine. And some of the best learners doing some of the most incredible things are people that I met in prison. And so it's illustrating the point that, of course, we're not letting the environment off the hook. Like we want the people around us engaged in these things, but that doesn't mean if like that, here's the problem. We are taught that fear and other tough emotions like being nervous are bad. And we're taught this because people are always telling us that we should be fearless, which is essentially saying, don't feel fear. And we mean well when we tell people that, but the signal it's sending is it's not good to feel. But then the, the problem is because we're humans and because we're always pushed out of our comfort zone, we do feel. So it creates a, an issue here of if I'm taught that it's bad to feel fear, bad to be nervous, but then I do feel it, I start to feel shame because I feel it. It's like, uh-oh, I must not be prepared. I must not be ready. No one else feels like this because everyone, all these signals have taught me to be fearless. And so then I'm in a situation where I do feel and then I'm thinking about it the wrong way. And then the other way to avoid feeling is to just not do the thing. So I'm presented an opportunity. They, they say, do you want to give a talk to this group? But I feel nervous. In my past, because I felt nervous, I would give those feelings a lot of power. And I would say, nah, I better not do it. I'm too nervous. Mm. Because I, I think, well, if I'm this nervous, it means I better not do this because it's bad to feel like this. And so the, the really cool thing that comes out of the research is if you change that original assumption and just help, help people understand, it's okay to feel nervous and it's okay to feel afraid that again, we're humans and that's like, we're wired to feel uncomfortable when we're doing things that involve uncertainty and attention and struggle when we get out of the comfort zone. And just by teaching people that it's okay to feel those things, now we can stop shaming ourselves when we do feel them. And so there's a lot of really cool research that, that shows like how this affects learning and how this affects performance. Um, and I just think it's so fascinating and so powerful. But in the end, it's just making a small adjustment. It's okay to feel. It's okay to feel nervous. It's okay to be afraid. That doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. And it's one of the most powerful lessons that you could teach literally anyone. It's one of the best topics that, that we present.
and that that piece there, you know, just it, you, you know, you gave a brief uh, detail and example earlier around that the feelings that you could have. How do you, what what would be a good gauge for someone to assess whether they're feeling? You know, it might be it might be something that you reiterate from what you mentioned earlier about that comfortability and being outside the comfort zone, but also that feeling of it's okay to be outside that comfort zone. I think that self-talk around that piece, I think, is just as important as obviously being outside the comfort zone in order to develop. Yeah, it's, it's, it's if I want to grow, I have to expand out of my comfort zone. And when I do that, it's going to feel weird, but that doesn't mean I'm doing something wrong. Right. But if you think about it, that's kind of what screws us up. We're like, yeah. okay, I believe that, that I can learn to dance. I have my growth mindset. And I know I need to dance. And then I get out there and I feel weird. And then I stop. What we're saying now is you can learn to dance. That's the belief. And when you start dancing, it's going to feel weird. That's okay. You're a human. That doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. But in our past, when we feel uncomfortable, we think we're doing something wrong because we're taught that it's bad. But the truth is it's human. And so now I'm dancing, I'm feeling kind of weird, but I know that's okay. I'm more likely to keep dancing. And if I keep dancing, I get better at dancing. And so now what we've done, we sidestep the story and the fear, and we spent more time in the jungle dancing. <laughs> yeah, I love your analogies and your metaphors. Um, I think the key thing to kind of, you know, sum up from from my perspective is, in your steps, it's first of all that self-reflection piece, understanding where those developments and those changes might need to come, mm-hmm. or what the gaps are that you might need to fill. Mm-hmm. Then that self, that 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 almost self-talk statement that it can be done, it can yep. be something that can be developed and built on, um, and then that acceptance and that awareness and understanding that in the process of this and it is the process that you've really got to focus on, not the end goal, that the process is not going to be comfortable because if it was, then it'd be something you could do already. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like the, it's like, if you think about sports, it's like, obviously that creates a lot of discomfort when we compete. Well, the way to have no discomfort would be to play a team, you know, you can beat. Well, that's not what we want. So it's like, we, sports is the perfect place it's like all of these things are maximized like we're gonna feel a lot of different emotions when we compete and that's like the beauty of sports that's what makes it hard but that's the best part of it as well um so it's it's really important that's not the case that we're out of luck that we can do a lot as the individual as well so it, it they they both matter a lot definitely you know and just want to kind of just build on that a little bit and with some of the stuff that you've got going on so I mean you, you talk there about the learner lab you know a lot of that you know you, you cover various topics um, within that and you know from having a growth mindset to you know learning culture to how to build resilience and what that looks like those steps that you've just given us there I think it's not like you said earlier. It's not rocket science, but it's something. These are very actionable steps for everyone to kind of take on board and apply, whether that's be for themselves, whether that be part of developing an environment for other people to maybe prosper and developing mm-hmm. um, within that themselves. Um, I think that's you know it's, it's fantastic. You know, and I, as we start to wind down, I'm just be interested to know 
um, if you have any, uh, I guess, online workshops or webinars that people can maybe participate in that, that links into some of this content? Yeah, I'm, we're working on building a lot of stuff. Uh, I really believe in sharing as much as I can. So I think our podcast is really cool because what we do is we'll interview the actual scientists, the researchers, and we'll let Brilliant. them explain stuff. And so every episode is its own topic. It's like 30 minutes. We're going to get an expert. They're explaining their work. And then we're going to talk about applications. That's a really good way to learn about this stuff. But the our podcast called Emotion and Resilience uh, is really, really good. And you can hear for, from a researcher from Yale and Harvard. Um, I love our podcast. I think our videos are really good, too. Um, and we're always trying to, to, to share stuff. Um, all of it's free. All of it can be found on thelearnerlab.com. Um, I think that's the best way. To... Definitely. There you have it. This is what it looks like to get in and outside of that comfort zone and the benefits and I guess the importance of doing so as well from Trevor Reagan himself, founder of the Learner Lab. Um, and just on that note, Trevor, if there's any way that the listeners could get in touch with you at all. Yeah, uh, my email and phone number are on the website, thelearnerlab.com. And you can find me on Twitter, learner underscore lab. And yeah, you could shoot me an email, shoot me a text. I would love to hear from anyone if they have questions. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.